The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Dion Muchachito. Dion is an actor, director, and artist. He is a graduate of the Juilliard School and is most known for his work opposite Vince Vaughn in the 2017 cult film Brawl in Cell Block 99. His most recent work was director of Panoptagon, which is a surrealist dance theater and immersive film art installation based off his paintings. This installation appeared at the Juilliard School's Center for Innovation in the Arts. Hi, Dion. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, hi. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, I have to admit, I have actually been a fan for, I'm going to date us now, like 25 years. Because I remember <laughs> in high school watching you in theater. You graduated a little bit before I did, but our class got to go and watch the plays in high school. And I remember you acting it. I'm like, gosh, he is so good. I've been a fan for that long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. I, know. I, I appreciate that. Wow. I mean, yeah, that was... Uh... I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing back then. I was just a, a raw nerve and just a, a lot of passion, just trying to figure some some stuff out. Well, it definitely <laughs> didn't look like you didn't know what you were doing because it looked like you did. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was very impressed. I can remember one of those plays. It was like uh, the first play I ever did was in ninth grade, and it was this really, really, really hard play by Federico Garcia Lorca called Blood Wedding. <laughs> and I'm like – Look, I just want to be in the background. I'm just trying to learn what I'm doing because my first year doing advanced drama and my teacher, she's like, no, 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 no we're going to we're going to put you as the lead, <laughs> one of the leads. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Wow. And I'm like, OK, this character needs to be angry. I, I've seen De Niro do this. Maybe I'll make an, an expression like this or Van Damme does this anytime he has something interesting going on. So maybe I'll do an eyebrow raise or something. I was just like, yell. when in doubt, yell. <laughs> That fixes everything. Oh, oh God. Well, I guess I think the teacher must have saw in you what everybody else saw. Thank God for teachers. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, she saw me acting up a fool in class and she said, rather than be a class clown, why don't you take this and try to mold it into something? You know, they're like alchemists. They can just see magically into people's souls. The good ones. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, speaking of which, so... So since high school, what happened? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, so um, I went to film school at UC Santa Barbara, film studies. They had a, a very, very prestigious uh, film studies program at UCSB. So it's just a lot of writing theory papers and stuff like that, which I enjoy. I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to do film studies, because like, I was intrigued by the intellectual, uh, artistic side of visual language. And then what happened was, is my father died in a car accident my second year at school, Mm. which was extremely traumatic for me because my mother had already died of brain cancer when I was eight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just extremely lost by that. It just, uh, it tore me apart. So I found myself being called back into acting, not necessarily for like, any other reason than to just save myself because I remembered how therapeutic acting was in high school, like to be like, okay, here I can access all these different emotions that I did not allow myself to experience before. uh, And now I can do it under the safety of playing this character. And it liberated me in ways that I found uh, quite healing. And so I found myself being called, pulled back into acting, even though I was a film studies major. And I started auditioning for uh, plays at UCSB and they had an open program where you could, uh, they allowed non-acting majors to audition for things. And I kept getting these parts. And one of the teachers there was a previous graduate of Juilliard. And he was like, look, you got a lot of raw talent, but I, I think you would really gain a lot from getting some professional training. Like, why don't you try to go to grad school after this? I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm just going through something right now. Like, yeah, um, I don't know if I really want to do the profession of acting. It's... And then I graduated and I thought about it for a year. And then I was like doing odd jobs, working construction uh, in San Diego. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, remember when we had the, like the firestorm in like 2003? I can remember yeah. doing construction like while the city was burning. I was like, ashes are falling. That was like, intense. What is going on? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. And then that was one of those things where I was like, hmm, maybe I should audition for grad school. <laughs> So uh, not long after that, I auditioned for Juilliard and I got in, which is a really, really hard school to get into. Mm-hmm. And it's like something like only like 1% acceptance rate. Wow. And even then, I wasn't really sure if this is what I wanted to do because I found acting to be – it's like – it really takes an emotional toll on me because I have mm. a lot of real life pain to draw from. And so when I put that into a character, it, it, it hurts for real. It's not like an easy thing to do. Yeah. But I mean, the type of artists that I was inspired by, they felt like they drew from that kind of raw experiences. I mean, the people I was interested in were like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Meryl Streep and Dennis Hopper. Oh my God, I love Dennis Hopper. Of course, Marlon Brando. I felt like there was some sort of like alchemy that they were doing, that they were like taking real trauma and transmuting it into art. And that was what I was interested in, because to me, that's what saved my life. But then when I went to Juilliard, I recognized, oh, my God, I'm surrounded by all these drama weirdos that like everybody comes to to the arts and theater for different reasons. And I found like the majority of these alpha type personalities came there just because they wanted to be famous. 
And a lot of those alpha personalities are famous by now because, I mean, you have to like, you know, have like that kind of cutthroat mentality to get where you have to get to in like this really, really competitive industry. And my mindset was more like, I feel like this is more like a, some sort of like a priesthood or like, like a religious calling. Like I feel like, like a a shamanic tradition or something. So I I really had a hard time acclimating. Yeah. And I still do in a lot of ways. (laughs) So graduated Juilliard, did a lot of like regional theater and uh, off Broadway and one Broadway show. And then, um, uh, and in New York, the catch 22 is that, uh, they like to have uh, TV people play the leads in their place because that's it's just a business decision. They need that to, in order to get people to come and buy the mm. tickets to the shows. Yeah. So-and-so from X, Y, and Z TV show come to the play. So I found it hard to politically break through and to be able to play bigger roles. And then also like just the, uh, mm. student loans keep, you know, calling and you can't really pay student loans with a an off-Broadway paycheck, as noble as one's intentions in art (laughs) might be. So that led me to come back to California, uh, which is nice because all my family's out here anyways. So uh, now I'm close to my brother now, and I'm in Burbank, which is nice. Yeah, and uh, I'm just – right now I found myself leaning back into visual arts and writing and directing – which was the thing I originally went to school for at UCSB before my father passed away. So it's strange how like a death can completely derail your plans and take you off on a total other tangent in life. And then you find yourself coming back to what your original intentionality was. Yeah. So I found myself in this kind of nebulous space of kind of making it up as I go along and not really knowing what it's going to be or how it's going to manifest, but just trusting that if I trust my intuition and follow where that is leading, that it will ultimately Mm -hmm. lead me to manifest my own version of my artistry, not somebody else's version or like to be some sort of brand ambassador for a a corporation. So that's what I'm in the middle of uh, trying to alchemize right now. And it's a beautiful struggle. It can be. That's right. I suppose it's the outlook that you have on it, right? It could be something that you can struggle and become stronger from or let it sort of take you over and maybe become its victim. It sounds like that you have been able to use creativity in the arts to help you to maybe process some of this. I I know I've seen some of your paintings before and I mean, they're really great. I actually, even though I'm a nurse, I actually have a bachelor's degree in fine arts. My favorite medium being oil paints. So I really, yeah, I really took to your paintings that I saw that you did. How did that show over at Juilliard come about for you, that installation? And what was that process? like? Well, they were aware that I was a visual artist as well as a filmmaker. And so the project that they had in mind was a project based off of Plato's Allegory of the Cave. And this came up during the middle of COVID. So they they were thinking about doing a project that would live only in a virtual space. Hmm. And they figured with my visual art background and my film background that I could help design the cave, so to speak. Whereas it would be this kind of VR construct where you could visit different kind of rooms within the cave. Wow. And 
I started developing ideas and philosophies and I really poured through a Plato's allegory of the cave and I wanted to kind of encounter it in a way that affects my own psychology. Like I really wanted to ask questions of the philosophy and then also try to be inquisitive in the way that I want the philosophy to challenge my views of reality. So questions were very, very important in the nature of the creation of the piece. And then also I wanted to give homage to my quarter Greek heritage because my name Dion comes from Dionysius, the Greek god of wine, revelry, psychedelic experiences, fertility rituals, etc. And theater. (laughs) So uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to like as an experiment to invoke a muse before the creation of the process. So I wanted to ask myself, what does that mean to invoke a muse? And then I started figuring out for myself, based upon my my work as a painter, what I understand it to be is I understand it to be that the subconscious or superconscious or whatever you want to call it wants to come out and play and partner with you in the creation of works. And I feel like each piece of art has a mind of its own as it's coming into existence and it will speak to you and tell you how it wants to manifest into this this existence and that's where your intuition comes into play but the only way you can get into that playground is if you get into a non-judgmental flow state of consciousness and i recognize with painting because it's extremely physical. It's almost like you're doing a dance. And the way in which I like to paint, I like to paint with mixed media in like a very wet format where I use lots of real thin layers of acrylic paint. And I use a rubber catalyst wedge to scrape away layers of paint. So like, for instance, I'll scrape paint on and then I'll flick water on to the canvas and then I'll scrape again. And wherever I scrape, wherever there's a water droplet, it will scrape away the paint. So you start to create this kind of layered texture that feels very organic. Nice. But you have to work fast because of the nature of it being wet. So you really have to get into a flow state, a non-judgmental state of consciousness. And you just keep moving, you keep moving, you keep moving until the painting reveals what it wants to be. And it's usually something inside you just says, stop. And then usually I step away to like have a drink of water, et cetera. And then I'll be like, okay, well, what is it? It wants me to see in it. And then I'll look there and I'll be like every single time I'm blown away by something that I had no intention of putting in there, but then it reveals itself to me. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is freaking brilliant. Where did that come from? (laughs) somewhere else. Yes, it might be like part of my consciousness, part of my being. Maybe it's my subconscious or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But I like to encounter that mystery because I feel like it's important to have a sense of the mystical when creating art. I don't want it to all just be like quantifiable, like calculations, because that's boring to me. You know, I might as well just be painting by the numbers. <laughs> Instead, I want to be surprised by what comes out. And I tried to apply that same philosophy to the making of this film art installation piece. So I built each image, each shot in the same way. Like some of them were based off of paintings that I did. But as I would work on it, 
it would start to evolve into its own personality and, and its own character. And then I'd be like, well, what is this? What world does this come from? What story does this belong to? And then by asking those questions of it, it wow. would then tell me where it wants to go. And so the whole piece developed out of that flow state of mind, sense of creativity. And I will say in order to engage in this style of creativity, it takes a lot of patience because some pieces will develop faster than others and others. It might take weeks for you to understand what it is that is evolving. Cause I can remember one sequence that is like paramount to the understanding of the whole piece. It's like absolutely integral. But as I was making it, I, I kept doubting. I'm like, like, what the hell am I doing? This is insane. This is garbage. What am I doing? <laughs> and then I have to be, I have to, I kept going like, no, 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 no. Trust your intuition. Just keep, going in the direction there's something in here just keep trusting it and i just kept working and 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 then sure enough i set the piece aside and i'm like there's something in there i don't know what it is but i, I know there's something there it mm -hmm. will reveal itself to me and then i shot a few other things that were meant to go with something else completely and then out of nowhere, I'm like, well, what if I put these two things together? Hmm. And then it made total sense. Wow. And like I said, there's no way I could have cognitively brought that together, like just kind of logically writing it out. Say if I wrote the screenplay and like try to like say visually, this is what you see. There's no freaking way I would have been able to do that. But through this process, like I said, the art will reveal itself. You just have to have patience. And sometimes it's like a weird act of faith. It's like you have to kind of just keep working and keep trusting that the art will reveal itself, which is really antithetical to the way art is created in general, because everything has to be quantifiable. Like, well, what demographic mm -hmm. are you catering to? Like it, how much diversity is in it? Like how many demographics can we like pitch this to, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, is it able to go on TikTok or like Instagram, all these things, <laughs> which is not how my brain functions. Because like I said, I, I believe in the mystery of art and I believe in its kind of spiritual capacity to alter consciousness uh, for the better and for the worse, but it all depends on the intentionality of the artist. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's how that piece Panopticon came about. And if you know the, the terminology, what a Panopticon is, it was a, uh, a style of prison that was designed in a cylindrical fashion in such a way that if you had one guard tower in the center shining light on all the prison cells, the prisoners would stay in line because they knew they were being watched all the time. Oh. And to me, if we look at the Plato's allegory of the cave, which is this idea that, you know, we live in a cave and there's these shadows being projected on the wall and the puppet masters are trying to tell us that the shadows are reality. In essence, I oh. felt like we, we live in a digital mm. panopticon right now, and the shadows that are telling oh. us what's real are the algorithms and the programmers of the algorithms. So whatever we're scrolling through becomes our reality. And it's important, I feel, for humanity to recognize that so they can take their agency back and also find their intuition again. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. It's like an internal compass, and this internal compass, I swear, it was very important to me because I, actually I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. 
you probably didn't know that, but I didn't, uh, no. before moving down to San Diego, my parents, they, uh, they lived in Anchorage because they were hippies and they wanted to live off the oh. grid, and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, in the early seventies. And then my father ended up becoming a firefighter up there. Oh. So yeah, I was born in Anchorage and when you play in the middle of winter in Anchorage, it gets really dark really quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can lose all sense of directionality and it can be quite terrifying because it's cold and dark mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm playing in the middle of a forest that it might be only a block away from my house, but I can't see through the trees and snow to find uh, some light. Wow. And if you panic, you will make a bad decision. And uh, from an early age, I recognized just calm down, take a deep breath. <sighs> and then always... When you're calm and centered, you choose a direction, it's the right direction. And it's the human intuition. And that's happened to me so many times as a child and then as an adult. But like I said, these devices, these screens that we, these smart devices that we have now that provide us GPS and coordinates and and, uh, can, you know, occupy our attention when we're bored, they have the potentiality to atrophy that human intuition. And so mm. I feel it's important to to cultivate that. Yeah. And there's ways one could do it. Art is one way. Uh, but also like getting yourself into places where you don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's okay to get lost. I feel like that's important to not know what's happening because when you're in a state of not knowing, it opens up new pathways of learning mm-hmm. within yourself. As long as you can get past the initial fear reaction. And I feel like that's the other thing. Like we're being programmed to to fear all the time because that gets the most reactions out of us. Yeah, right. So yeah, meditation is also key in being able to not be occupied with a thought and recognize that I'm not my thought. I, I observe my thought and then just let it pass. Because any thought that becomes repetitive has the potentiality to control your uh, your point of view. Yeah. So I wanted to comment on the way that you mentioned that you do your art, where you could kind of just get in the flow. First of all, there's such freedom in being non-judgmental with your art and being able to express yourself in whatever feels good and feels natural, and then taking a step back and seeing what you created. And gosh, I love the idea of intuitive artwork. I just think that that's so wonderful because it's almost like encompassing whatever the universe wants to bring through as well. And then this art, I feel like then can be what it needs to be for that person, for whoever is looking at it. Anyway, I just really love that idea. And I'm kind of the same way too, when it comes to like, I feel like in a creative process, I'm, I'm definitely not one who's like, it has to be perfect. I'm definitely one who's like, well, it came out the way it's meant to. I was the same with my art as well. I agree. I think that being able to be artistic or creative and whatever that looks for anybody, playing a musical instrument or doing art or writing or whatever it is, is just another way to get in touch with our intuition, whether we realize it or not. Because I think that a lot of those ideas come from somewhere when you're in that sort of zoned out state. I have a question for you. Yeah. 
So how do you find that manifesting itself in your uh, work as a nurse? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I find that now I'm in a role where I'm more administrative. So I actually am teaching and educating other nurses now. So not so much patient care in a direct way. And so I find that I actually have a lot more freedom and creativity in creating my PowerPoints or how I choose to teach and talk to the nurses. And I find that as I'm teaching them, I may feel the need to explain something more in this particular class with this particular group of nurses than maybe in uh, the last group of nurses that I taught. So I use a lot of intuition as well to go with what I feel I need to share and express with the group of nurses that I'm training at the time. So I find that I get to be actually more creative in my current role than before when I had to stick more to like policies and procedures when helping and working with patients. There's just a lot more creativity with teaching. Uh, and I love teaching. So for me, that's just kind of in a way an outlet as well, especially when I get to be quirky with my PowerPoint presentations <laughs> um, when I teach. So now in this capacity... I can see how my mm -hmm. intuition really, I work very closely with it. I did too when I worked with patients, but uh, now that I'm working with other nurses and training them, I can see how in a different capacity I'm able to incorporate that. Because for me, I think it's very important. So for me, it's a big part of my everyday. So before we got on and we're recording, we talked about signs, just briefly, but signs like from the other side, numbers, things like that. Can you share your experiences with that? Oh my. Um, so uh, the earliest thing I remember uh, of this popping up for me. So in high school, I lived in Portofino, which was the housing project thing that was like right across the street from our high school. And so it has this kind of like inner circle which is nice uh, because uh, at night I would go and I would run that, like mm -hmm. run it hard. <laughs> like I would, <laughs> I, and I, I had a Walkman and I made it like these really aggressive mixtapes that had songs that you would like sprint to. Nice. You know? and, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, some of it was like Rocky soundtrack music to like Queen's soundtrack to like Flash Gordon to like some U2 songs to like some songs from the Pro soundtrack from 1994 to like some Pearl Jam. Like I, awesome. I, was, I was really like trying to like hit it hard. And man, I would go out and I, I had this, this, you know, a Casio, you know, <laughs> yeah. watch, you know, like one of these G-Shock things. And I would time myself when I would do like my final sprint. And there was a window of time where over and over and over again, it stopped on 33 milliseconds. And I was like, how could that be possible? Like, you know, whatever, so many seconds and then plus, you know, 33 milliseconds. And like, if like for weeks it was happening, I was like, hmm. that can't be possible. What the heck is this? This is trying to tell yeah. me something. Yeah. What is it trying to tell me? So I started being inquisitive about like, well, what does this mean? At the time I was very Catholic and uh, wow. I was like, okay, right, the uh, Holy Trinity, three sides, you know, and the, a triangle, like, uh, uh, you know, it's like three corners, three angles because, you know, we're doing like, you know, geometry and algebra and like triangles, the strongest shape. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And I'm mm. like, okay, right. Mm -hmm. uh, well, my mom, she was 34 when she died. 
but 33 days before yeah. she died was her birthday. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. What's, what's up with that? But then I found out that my parents lived off of Highway 33 in uh, Ojai, California, which is a thing. They lived off of Matillaha Canyon. I'm like, okay, Highway 33, that's interesting. Wow. And then the apartment that my father was living in in Ventura at the time was also 33. Wow. And then later on, there was also like a, a 33 correlation with when my father died. And I was hmm. like, oh, this is, this is nuts. And so then I would always see like 33s on clocks and everywhere, like 333, stuff like that. So it's always been wow. just kind of like a a number for me that is like a kind of a signpost. And then lately, everywhere, I've been seeing triple numbers and like quadruple numbers on like license plates everywhere. I'm like, what wow. are the chances of that? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of crazy to yeah. me. And I see it everywhere. Like, all the time. I'm like, that's really, really odd. And then some people say, well, it's just because you're you're looking for it. That's why. I mean, that's of course I'm like, well, but I don't know. I try to be kind of like uh at least somewhat skeptical about these things. Sure. Yeah. Like I'm not like trying for trying to force it. It just happens to be there. I'm like, oh shit, there it is. So I don't know. Like, and any have any of your other people have talked about this? Is this like a thing? Like, because I honestly oh, yeah. I, sometimes I feel like I'm crazy, <laughs> like, like talking about it, no. and even like that I see it. I just kind of keep it to myself. Oh really? Oh gosh, no, it's a definitely a thing. In fact, uh, if things can have themed numbers, I think my podcast's number is three because it comes up. This is so interesting. It comes up all the time. A lot of guests will talk about, oh, like in three days this happened. Like it's enough to where I am tuned in. Like, oh, okay. Three seem to come up a lot with my podcast. I notice it too. Like if I look back at the number of downloads or whatever, there's a lot of threes. So I've noticed that actually the theme of three in particular, when it comes to my podcast, not so much outside of it. So it happens all the time. And I'm impressed that even at that time when you were more of the Catholic mind frame and you were in high school, that you would be tuned in enough to even stop to think, okay, this is interesting. There must be something more to this with these numbers versus just sort of saying, oh, just coincidence or not even picking up on it. So I'm impressed by that. That's pretty cool. Well, I think that's also because I was obsessed with this science fiction book called oh. Dune, which is Frank Herbert book, you know, and that is like really psychedelic and strange and all wow. about this character has prescience and he sees into the future ah. because this psychotropic drug, the spice is able to open up his mindset. So I was really obsessed with this book. So maybe that's why I was like, well, something's speaking to me. Maybe I'm the Kwisatz Haderach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also I would say something has to do with this idea that when you encounter a really traumatic event in the case of like at the time in high school, I was trying to cope with why my mother would die at 34. Like, what does that, you try to ascribe some sort yeah. of meaning and put a story to it because always people will say, well, this happened for a reason. And some people will say, well, this happened because you're going to help a lot of people one day. And in order to cope with the unculpable of losing the center of your universe, your gravitational mooring, your sun and stars, your mother, like you create grandiose visions of yourself and the meaning 
behind such a tragedy. Like it must mean something. Yeah. So therefore, I feel like my mind was hungry to create meaning out of tragedy. And so it was looking to put pieces of a puzzle together and patterns and humans are great at pattern recognition. Yeah. And so I was hungry to find a pattern, I believe, in order to just cope with the pain, to give some sort of meaning to my life. And so I recognize there's some of that in there. But mm -hmm. the fact that I still keep seeing them, this can't be just some sort of weird psychosis or, you know, it could, it still keeps showing itself. And I'm not like, it's not like I'm insane <laughs> no. or anything where I have some sort of like alternate view of reality. <laughs> it's like, no, that I believe that there's something out there, some sort of intelligence that is helping to guide us. And I don't, I don't necessarily have to know how it works. I just have to trust and be like, Hey, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. Just in the same way that I trust when I'm making a painting I just have to trust it will reveal itself in time. My job is just to stay into a flow state of consciousness and keep moving forward. And there's this idea that, especially in art and in life, we will encounter obstacles and the obstacles will be frustrating. And a lot of mm -hmm. making art is about problem solving. And you can't problem solve when you're in a state of fear. So you have to just find the path of least resistance like water does and know that the right, or I wouldn't say there is a right way, but an opportunity will present itself. And if you keep an open mind, then obstacles or doors shut in your face, then become opportunities for new growth. Because you might have a narrow focus and just be trying to go through one door. But mm -hmm. maybe the universe or whatever it, in divine intelligence it is, is trying to say like, no, 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 you're so much more capable and we want to evolve your consciousness so much more than just that one door that you think is right for you so oftentimes we think that like it's such a tragedy that one door closes but you, only later in hindsight do you recognize that it was benevolent that that door was closed and you had to self-actuate different aspects of your personality in order to open up the perception to see other possibilities but even, like I said, like the thought patterns that we hold can become addictions because we get a dopamine spike when we have a self-fulfilled prophecy about a negative thing just the same way as if it's a positive thing. So some people get into that doom scrolling way of thinking and being like, oh, you see, the negative thing happened. It's, I mean, which is what I had to fight my way out of wow. having encountered so many traumas as a child. I always felt like, well, there's, there's something bad's going to ha happen around the corner. I got to prepare myself. And then when you think that way, sure enough, those things manifest. They come into existence. And it's, and I had to recognize, okay, well, I am doing this to myself. Sure, sure. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> I need to like use my mind and my intelligence to believe that good things can come my way. And as mm. opposed to thinking that signs that I'm seeing are a warning of bad things, yeah. take it as a as a, a sign that you're on the right path. You know, was that a hard thought process change to make? <sighs> yeah, because it, the way in which you see reality, it's like it's your hardwiring. It's your neural pathways. I mean, you, you you've heard of this term neuroplasticity, right? Mm hmm. So the idea that the ways in which our neurons fire in our brain 
can be rewired depending upon the pathways of our thoughts. But the hard part is thought patterns become ingrained in us, just like the way if you look at like a dirt road when it rains and cars go over it or horse-drawn carriages go over it, they're going to groove these lines into the dirt road over time. Then you're going to see these tracks. Same thing with your brain. You're going to see these these natural pathways that become like racetracks of thoughts. So it's easy to like, when something happens to you, it's neither good or bad, but the fastest pathway that you've learned might be a negative one. So it goes right immediately down that pathway because mm-hmm. it's the one that's been done over mm-hmm. And over and over, it's been ingrained into you. It's hard to rewire that. Yeah. And that's where meditation comes in key because it, it's all about observing your thoughts. And so then once that thing happens to you, it's neither good or bad, then you can just observe it and be like, oh, I observe this. I don't judge it. I observe it. And then you could be like, okay, well, is this good or is it bad? It's neither. It's just something that happened. Now I can not take it personally <laughs> and not allow it to affect my emotions and my reality. And then, you know, you don't have these dooms like mm-hmm, spirals mm-hmm. that uh, I often would tumble down. I've been looking over old journals from back in the day and being like, wow, man, like my brain would so quickly spiral into doom and just pleading to like God for like help to get out of it. And I recognize, well, it's just because... I had trained my brain unconsciously, mm. mind you. And uh, I would say unconsciously because also there there is a certain growing up Catholic and also my growing up being raised by my grandparents who were like really devoutly Catholic and like immigrants and came from, you know, the, the Great Depression and fought in World War II and all that stuff. They had this mentality of like, we're good salt of the earth immigrant Catholics and we wow. suffer with dignity and we do it well. And it was this idea of like identifying with Christ in the way that if you go to like, I don't know if you've ever been to Mexico City, but if you go to Mexico City, you see like the most bloody pictures of Jesus on the cross. It's like a lot of suffering. And like, so to me, I'm like, oh man, I need to, I need to suffer in order to understand God. (laughs) Or in my mind, I'm like, I need to suffer in order to understand what my mother went through with brain cancer Mm. and all that. So I see. In some ways, I, I feel like I invited a lot of hardship into my life because of that mindset. And so lately, I've just been trying to undo those neural pathways and unthink those ways of being. And yeah. it's not easy to do that. But that's, I feel like, everybody's responsibility in life. It's like you're born into this this story that's going on and people want to ascribe to you some sort of like character to play. And you're like, no, that's not the character I want to play. Yeah. I don't, that doesn't feel right to me. I, I'll try to play it. And then you feel hmm. like you get depressed because you're like, this character is not me. So now I'm just <laughs> trying to be me, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. As scary as that is. But it's a beautiful scary. Like I said, it's a beauty of getting lovingly lost in loneliness because in order to find oneself, you had to be willing to lose oneself. And you got to be able to have like these multiple deaths that happen along the way. And like, they're like these micro ego deaths that have to happen in order for you to find who you are. You kind of have to invite them, you know, like you have to say, I I trust that this is, that this is going to reveal something to me. 
what is it? And the questions. So you just have to keep asking questions. I feel like that's important is to just continue to be curious and not have all the answers, but at least be willing to ask the questions. So uh, where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? What's coming for you? Oh, man. Well, hopefully uh, I would like to be a father. That would be nice. Uh, I would like to write and direct some pieces that I've been brewing. I would like to um, finish writing this self-help book that I've been writing, which is all about the idea of when you encounter obstacles, like how the obstacles can can become opportunities. It's all about changing your perception. Mm. And it's basically like, it's, it's like a memoir that comedically tells like these short, it's like dark comedy, these kind of short stories of like, the kind of really dark things that happened in my childhood <laughs> and to my parents and stuff. But then showing like there are different tools you could use in order to survive these things. And you don't have to be a professional artist to like engage in the arts. Yeah. The arts are for everyone. And it just basically shows how for me, the arts saved my life and it provides different kind of like self-help tools that one can use to kind of help them get themselves out of their own head and back into the moment. And one of those tools, which I would like to share right now is this idea of what I would like to call in pursuit of magic. And you could do this like in a city like New York, or like as you go to visit a new city or something, someplace where you are out of your familiar area and you just wander Without judgment, Mm. without an aim to do anything, but just wander and see where your intuition pulls you. And then just ask questions and observe without judgment. Like, what is it about this thing that is called to me? And then you allow that moment to lead to the next moment. And sure enough, always, but in the same way that I was talking about, like when you get lost in flow states of creativity. Yeah, yeah it leads to some sort of beautiful revelation or like a chance encounter with a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. This has happened to me a lot in New York where I'm just, I'm doing that. I'm just wandering around, just enjoying a few hours to aimlessly wander and enjoy people watching or looking at things. And, and then I'll run into somebody I haven't seen in five years. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? (laughs) And then we'll be able to be like, okay, all right, let's, let's meet up sometime. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a way of like intuitively, and mindfully and creatively encountering reality. But like I said, it, it requires a cultivation of, of time management because I know for myself, if I don't manage my time, then the day gets ahead of me and I feel like completely stressed catching up to everything. And so that's why I try to start every day with a meditation and wow. uh, some writing and then ideally or reading something that like is challenging whether it's like reading something that's like uh, inspirational or something that's like a, a novel that was like opening up your imagination to imagine things, those aspects are key. And then also challenging yourself to do something that you are completely yeah. terrified of, something new. Oh. <laughs> you know, like for me, that was challenging myself to do Argentine tango. Oh, I love it. I was like, 
okay, I'm in a rut. I feel depressed. I'm like, I need to do something to get myself out of this depression. I'm like, oh, so, well, I know when that happens, I need to challenge myself to get myself out of the, out of the wow. comfort zone. So that's when I, six years ago, I started doing Argentine tango because of that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a terrifying dance. It's like really, really <laughs> tough to do. But like, I like that about it because it yeah. always really gets inside of me. And I, like, it makes me encounter all these things inside of myself. Which is, which is good. <laughs> That's amazing. On top of the boxing, right? Because you're boxing too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Boxing is kind of like a meditative ritual because I'm always going into the gym and doing, you know, because like I'm 44 now. So uh, before I work out, the first thing I do is I warm up with a boxing routine, uh, some stretching, some shadow boxing, and then a bag routine. And it's all mostly predicated upon working on footwork. Because to me, you can't throw hands without having a solid base. Ah. There's no point in throwing a combination out of the bag if you can't get in and out of the combination safely with head movement and foot movement. So everything is like, it's kind of like a weird dance that I end up doing, you know, <laughs> where it's like I'm imagining the opponent in front of me and dodging and uh, mm -hmm. evading things with head movement and also footwork, but then slipping into combinations at the bag and then slipping out of those safely. So it's a really good cardio, but also like works your entire body, your core, because when you're doing the core work, you have to move your center. And then also you got to be on balance, yeah. throw punches and get in and out of it. So to me, it's like, it's all about breath. Yeah. It's about timing. It's about balance. So like I said, it becomes like a, a flow state meditation. And oftentimes I will, I'll have like great revelations while in the middle of, do, of doing it. But it's only because like I've practiced this since I was like a teenager. So now it's like ingrained into my body, mm. kind of like a second mm -hmm, nature mm -hmm. thing. I can get into a flow state of consciousness. I'm not thinking about it. I'm just flowing and doing. But yeah, I feel like it's important to have like those kind of physical yeah rituals one does to, you know, cultivate your mind, yeah. body and spirit. Absolutely. Well, when you get that book written, let me know. We'll have you back on so that you can share it with the listeners. Cause I think that that's right up the alley of the, of the show. <laughs> so let me know. <laughs> oh my God. The title right now is tentatively called, excuse me while I set this broken nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's basically like, yeah. Life is hard. You're yeah. going to like, you know, encounter some trials and tribulations. Yeah, Land but, on your uh, face. There's ways <laughs> yeah. to survive, you know? And, it, you know, like, I, I swear, like, you got to have a sense of humor because, like, I, yeah. when you encounter a lot of dark things, sometimes you just have to be able to laugh and be like, you know what? Shit happens. Yeah. Make a joke about it. Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Dion, you have shared such amazing insight and lots of wonderful learning aspects of your life so far. I am curious for the listener, what advice would the Dion of today give the Dion from his past? Oh my God. Lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> and what I just said before, don't take shit so seriously. Just have some damn fun. Oh my God. I was so serious in high school. I was like so serious. No, no, I, I had a dark sense of humor, but like, but at school, like, oh my God, I was just so, so like, oh my God. <laughs> Cause yeah, I mean, like I said, like when, when you have trauma happen to you, you think like, oh my God, if I don't do everything right, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to hell. Like all these things. It's like no teenager should be thinking about that shit, but like, <laughs> you know, like you live with depression, era grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I was a monk. <laughs> yeah, God help me. Well, hopefully you're enjoying life more these days. Sounds like you are. Yeah, just trying to have an open mind and uh, allow whatever happens to happen and not get into like when you have like a preconceived notion about how things are supposed to unfold or how your life should be unfolding. You know, I'm 44 right now. I didn't expect to be where I'm at. There are some good things that I've come to, but then there's also some things like, why am I not here? But those things are outside of my control and I can't fault myself or beat myself up for those things that are outside of my control because I put my best foot forward and put my love, heart and passion into what it is that I do. But you can't beat yourself up for the things that are outside of your control. You just have to let it go and not take anything personally. <laughs> and so that's the other thing I would tell myself in the past. Don't take anything personally, please. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, please don't take any. The Four yeah. Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That is a great book. Just don't take anything personally. Uh, be impeccable with your word. Uh, oh, yeah. What are the other ones? Yeah. Anyways, but yeah. readers, check that book out, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dion, for again, sharing your life's journey so far and your wisdom with me and with the listeners. I really appreciate you and appreciate your time with us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. I greatly appreciate you inviting me here to the conversation. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Oh, we will. Once you get that book written or even before, you let me know. You just let me know. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I will. Thank you so much. And that was another episode of A Guided Life Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.